0: Welcome to the Gold Silver Pros podcast with Rob Keens, your precious metals podcast for interviews, breaking economic news, and more. Today's episode, short-term bonds are doing what the Fed won't in raising rates, featuring Dezo Games. Hey everybody, this is Rob Keens of GoldSilverPros.com. I have a returning guest of the program. You haven't seen him in a while. But we've got a lot to cover today. It's Kieran Von Hest, who also goes by Deso Games on Twitter and on Twitch, where you can capture him talking about the markets and also doing his gaming sessions. Kieran, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Not too bad. It's been a long day. Conference yesterday. So Mm. uh, we're wrapping this one up after this recording, (laughs) but we had to get you (laughs) on tape because... Uh, You've got an interesting situation with the bonds going on and also some observations on silver. So let's start with the bonds. Tell tell us what's going on with the bond market here in the U.S.
1: Yeah, so uh, this seems to be slipping under the radar uh, of just about everyone. I've been trying to make a stink about it on Twitter, but it seems nobody's really caught on to it yet. So the short end of the United States bond yields curve is basically ignoring the Fed's fund rate completely. Um, I don't know why. But honestly, since it started uh, after taper was announced uh, or started in November, and it continues to this very day, I'm just thinking that the bond market, at least the short end of the curve, has basically stopped believing the Federal Reserve. In other words, the Federal Reserve has lost all control. And um, I don't think anybody's come to this conclusion yet. Well, some people have stated it. But I don't think anybody's ever given any evidence to this fact. And the short end of the curve uh, for the United States is basically screaming mm-hmm. that the bond market no longer believes the Fed. While right. everybody's concentrated on the long end of the curve, so they don't see that it this is going on under the hood. But the patterns are clear. And I aim to show that today.
0: Okay, cool. Well, go for it.
1: All right. Well, I'll share the screen then. Get into the nitty gritty. So uh, here's the bond yield curve at uh, for, just to begin with uh, trading uh, today on the 27th. And you can see that the short end of the curve has blown out while the longer end has contracted. Now, most attention goes out to the US 10 year considered to be the most safest trading asset in the entire markets, most liquid and everything. But again, I'm focused on the short-ended curve. Now, if you look at the short end of the curve, and I've got the one year open here now, on the long-term, it looks like the federal funds rate. As we know, the Federal Reserve sets the interest rate for the US bond curve by basically setting it for the shortest-term uh, rates, the overnight uh, repo rates. And they've got an effective funds rate, uh, which I've got open here, which is currently set to 0.08%, as it has been since the start of the pandemic. We know this. (laughs) However, what has changed is that the, the bond market is now ignoring this rate at the short end completely and has blown out. And I can simply show that by showing you the shape of the curves. This one, and this one. And you can see here at the end, it's completely flat. And here in the one yield curve, It has gone up nearly 10 times since September of last year. So the interesting thing here is is that until September last year, the one-year bond yield followed the Fed funds rate very closely. The longer you go out in the curve, uh, the less close they do. And I can show that by the two-year chart, which I also have open here. And switching between them quickly, you can see the change in shape of the chart. But the and one the first, year
0: is really pronounced. So it looks like the one year people are pricing a lot more risk.
1: Um, well, you would say that, but that is how you can uh, check this. And mm-hmm. I think that is why it goes over one's head. On this chart, if you just look at where the line is now, you can see it's trading approximate, well, exactly around the 1st of December 2016. Uh, it's mm-hmm. averaged out over a monthly chart, so you only get the first of each month. but. That's the same for the federal funds rate. So since the bond is trading where the same interest rate used to be in December of 2016, we just check where the federal funds rate used to be in December of 2016. And that is here. So that is the real problem here that nobody seems to get. The bonds are already trading, at least on the short end, as if the Federal Reserve has already hiked rates twice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So at this point, the Federal Reserve can hike rates twice, and it wouldn't even matter for the short end of the curve. You wouldn't even be able to see it because the one year, the two year, the six month, they're already, already trading as if it's the federal yield curve is at 0.5%. Now, of course, the bond itself isn't trading at 0.5%, but the Federal Reserve does set the entire yield curve by simply setting the lowest one. It's the further out you get uh, that it uh, changes from the federal funds rate. It starts fluctuating more. But the closer you get in lending time, so the shorter in lending time you get to, say, overnight repo, the closer you are to the actual Fed funds rate. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at the one-month bond, it is still following the Fed funds rate or trading to where it is supposed to trade in a situation like this. But the three-month has already completely started ignoring uh, the Federal Reserve, and it has since the 3rd of January, which is where the Federal Reserve uh, announced that a quantitative... Well, not announced, but they started discussing running off the balance sheet faster. right? So in the situation where the U.S. government has to lend trillions in budget deficit because otherwise they can't you know, afford their spending, they're actually going to add bond supply to the markets. I, I am just in awe of their stupidity at this point. Anyway, the short term of, bond, the, short term of the curves uh, spike more because it's large amounts of money moving in and out. Uh, They're only used as short-term liquidity by companies in effect. But if you take a longer-term view, you can immediately see that it too used to trade pretty close to the Fed funds rate, especially on the weekly chart. You can see that it just accepted where it was. And then since the first week of January, it has just gone up and up and up. And while on the the very short term, you might see these individual spikes, these individual spikes themselves also go higher because this spike is the same as this spike, but Uh now it's happening from a higher base. Uh And that is the chart with uh, the six month, the one year, the two year, but the further out you go, the more flatter it gets. Now, people have been commenting that the yield curve is inverting because of policy error from the Fed, which is true but it's going to invert around the 10 year level as you can see the uh, spread between the 10 year and the seven year is basically nothing so we could very much see the 30 year fall from this point towards 1.8 percent but i've also been making this prediction for a while because people have been saying that the yield curve is inverting for a while and the last time I thought it was going to invert, I thought it was going to invert around the 1.4% level, which is now where the three-year is trading. Because mm-hmm. that's where the, uh, the five-year was trading. And at that time, it was the average between the two-year and the three-year and everything. So it was looking like it was invert there. But now it's looking like it's going to invert at one8 So the whole yield curve, the entire thing is just going up. It's mm-hmm. just because of these intraday moves, which can be a lot, and all the macroeconomic narratives are going around, it, nobody's really noticing this happening.
0: What What does it mean, Dezo, uh, when the entire yield, yield curve is moving up?
1: So, um, I'm not entirely sure what the technical economic definition for it is, but the effect of a, uh, an inverted yield curve is clear. Every single recession in the last 50 years, I think it was, has been preceded by an inverted yield curve, yep. where uh, people are more skittish uh, lending people money on the short term than on the long term. Mm-hmm. It basically indicates a re- recession is coming. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the curve is trying to invert, uh, the last inversion, by the way, happened in August of 2019, <laughs> a month before the repo crisis that basically means the recession is coming. But the fact that the entire curve is going up means that this is something different. I think, I genuinely think it's the death of the U.S. bond market that we've been predicting for a very long time. I think it's finally happening.
0: Because what you're seeing is when the entire rate complex moves up, you're saying more risk in the system. More risk in the system requires more yield. And if it inverts at a higher rate, Essentially, what you're saying is the system is not healthy, right?
1: Yeah. The basic function of bonds, which has been suppressed by the government's shenanigans, is to determine how much risk there is lending money to any particular government. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why uh, Russian bonds or Mexican bonds have a higher yield than U.S. bonds, because people feel more comfortable lending money to the United States. Mm -hmm. But the same thing applies at any given yield for any given bond. So if the one year for the U.S. is uh, 2% now and it used to be 1%, well, it doesn't mean that uh, people are twice as unlikely to lend money. It just means that the risk has gone up. Right. Which in turn means that there must be a reason for this risk to go up.
0: So the interest rate essentially is like the risk premium in a way.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's basically, um, historically speaking, the way to detect the economic health or the credit health of a nation. And if the entire curve is going up, that means that basically nobody wants to touch this. But my, my biggest worry, uh, my biggest issue, and what's freaking me out the most is, again, that the Fed funds rate has been set to 0.08 effective. And they've just... It, Affirmed this in the uh, meeting that happened uh, yesterday. They really want this interest rate to stay here until taper is done in March. Fine. But the bond market says, no, that's not fine. We're going to raise interest rates for you. The only way this is happening or is, is possible is that people just don't want to buy the bonds again because the prices of bonds and yields are linked and inverted. Yield goes up, price goes down. Price goes up, yield goes down. So the fact that the interest rates on these bonds is going up means that the price is going down. And there's only one way that's happening is if people don't want to buy the stuff anymore.
0: And doesn't that essentially mean people aren't buying the Fed's bullshit anymore at this point?
1: Yes. That's
0: basically what it means.
1: That's exactly what it means. It means that no matter what you hear anybody say, you, me, anyone in the markets, doesn't matter this is the data this is mm-hmm. the chart this is basically all trades have happened and now the result is displayed on a graph that is what we're looking at and the result mm-hmm. of all the trades in the one month bond uh, market says that it's already trading at an effective funds rate of 0.5 percent mm-hmm. which means that the next two rate hikes are n- not quote-unquote priced in. No, they've already happened. It basically is like uh, saying, uh, no, there is no comparison here. There is no comparison. This is an historic event. This hasn't happened in more than... It certainly hasn't happened since 2008 because if you look at the max chart, uh, this bond has been a good little boy when it comes to the Fed funds rate. This goes back to 2008. So you increase that to about here. You can see it looks exactly the same. Uh-huh. Except, again, for this bit in the end here, which is when we're living now, which is has, has me worried. Again, the bot, it doesn't matter who still believes the Fed's bullshit, the bond market doesn't. And this is the one that matters.
0: And I would say this, in my experience, bond market investors are probably some of the smartest investors, a lot smarter than stock investors. Stocks, you could pump you know, Tesla up to 5,000 times earnings and they'd still buy it. The bond investor is like, nah, we don't think so.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's one thing. Uh, equity is not a leading indicator. Never has been, never will be. The bond yep. market is. Now, that is also exactly the reason why the Federal Reserve has been messing with interest rates and uh, buying bonds, doing QE, all the market facilities, all of it, all of it. They've done it exactly because the bond market is a leading indicator. So if they manipulated this indicator and everybody looks at the indicator, then they manipulate and control the entire market. And the short end of the curve just said no. And the fact that this line is going up so steep has me even more worried because what I've seen over the last two years in technical charts is that whenever you have a parabolic line going up, it hits a glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but it seems to happen time and time again that at some point, the line goes parabolically up and sideways might even dip a bit, but it always stops. This line hasn't stopped. (laughs) This line, uh, the interest rates has gone up 10 times from here, and it's only gotten worse. It's actually gotten so bad that I saw this jump happen in real time. Well, in real time, in in this overview here, everything was still like down a percent, except for the one year, which was suddenly up 9%. And that was happening last night. Uh, I put out a warning, and I even prefaced the warning with this might be a data error. Because it's like this happened so violently and across against all other assets. It was like, yeah, this can't be real. It was real. Oh, no, it was real. Within two days now, uh, it dropped by, what's that, a quarter? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, 25%. Just poof. <laughs> Again, against the federal funds rate. If, it was, if, if the Fed was raising rates... And this was happening fine mm-hmm. fine then they were obeying the fed but the bonds are not obeying the fed anymore no
0: the, the bonds are front-running the fed because they're like screw you you guys are incompetent you know like you yeah. said they're going to do it for them they're going to say no we're pricing in risk now that's what they're doing they're pricing in risk now while the fed wants to screw around and play games because the thing is the fed has to be careful if they raise it too fast if they taper too fast if they start actually selling assets running off their balance sheet you could have that stock market correction, like we had in 2018, which is 20% pullback. Yeah. So Powell's so worried about that, he's playing games. The bonds are like, screw this.
1: We the see bonds what's are going on. playing games.
0: Yeah, we see what's going on now that yield curve is starting to rise on the front end because they see immediate risk. When it, what it means on a three-month chart or a one-year chart is more immediate risk when that rate rises, right? So they're seeing yeah. more immediate risk, and so they're raising their rates.
1: To this chart here, to this bond market here, it really does not matter what this chart says. This is all in the past. This has all happened. That's
0: right, Yes. This
1: this is a new paradigm. This is happening now. And just look at the one-year chart. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) People are saying, pay me a lot more money to own your debt for one year. So that says people think that 2022 is going to be a a big year of volatility, right? Volatility, (laughs) risk,
1: consequences
0: for past actions.
1: To me, to me, the fact that this is happening on the short end, while the long end is not showing any signs of stress. Well, no, the 30-year is not showing any signs of stress when it should. Because if no. you just go to the 30-year and look at the uh, weekly chart there, yeah, there's this cup and handle forming that has formed in every other bond. And the latest trouble started... When the 10-year completed his cup and handle, and I got to say, this is the most fucked up handle and cup I've ever seen. (laughs) But, again, if you look at the one-year chart here, it looks like nothing's really gone on since the last year. Mm -hmm. But you compare that to the one-year chart of the one year, and it's just, everybody's going to get blindsided by this because everyone's looking at the wrong end of the curve. But the short end of the curve, which should be trading closest to the Fed funds rates, is reacting the most heavily like it's not. Yeah. And the longest end of the curve, which should be blowing out in case of trouble, you know, because if you're not going to lend somebody money for one year, you're not going to do it for 30 either. Well, they're just not interested or right. I, I not noticing anything or whatever, but. I genuinely believe at some point in the future, and it's not going to take long anymore, the same thing that happened to Venezuelan bonds is going to happen to US bonds. And I'll uh, show that overview as well. Let's pick this one. Uh, Venezuela, the yield curve. Because you would expect the longer end to blow out, but that's not what happens. It's actually the short end that completely blows out because the long end simply goes bidless. If nobody wants to buy the bonds at all, you cannot set a new interest rate because you cannot set a new price. But because bonds also form a particular function within a market, meaning a temporary storage of liquidity, the shortest end or one particular bond for the US might be the one year, it might be the six month bond, but one particular bond, is basically going to serve the function of minute storage of value. So not -hmm. not 20 years of bond, not two years of bond. No, it's your objective to hold that bond for 30 minutes while you line up the next sale. Then you sell that bond to the next guy who needs something to hold for 30 minutes while you buy an asset. And once you've bought that asset, you're not going to touch that bonds again, which means that the liquidity in the bond market goes up, which means price drops, which means yields go up which means more bonds needs to be printed from a government perspective, which, you know, is the vicious cycle of hyperinflation. And that is why the, 12, uh, the, the Venezuelan 20-year is stuck at below 8%, the 15-year at 11.5, the 5-year at 81.7, and the 2-year at 92,571.
0: <laughs> All right, let's talk silver. Good talk on bonds. Uh, you're noticing something in silver. Let's talk about that.
1: Right. And the one so, thing I want
0: to point out before you get into this, Karrion's like a radar when stuff goes off kilter. Like he notices it like right away.
1: Well, uh, I often, honestly, I just get lucky. But often I also spend the entire day just clicking through charts until one uh, piques my interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how we get to these things. But silver, you know, gold, silver, pros, now uh, has the interest, is down a lot. It was 4% uh, yesterday. The chart flipped over to the day, but, you know, no one's happy about this. So what happened? What really happened? Well, it's not this one. Uh, no, it's not this one. I think it's this one. So a follower of mine in just this uh, sent me a message on Twitter or general message on Twitter saying uh, that's a lot of calls. And I looked at this. And what you're looking at is the gold options strike prices. So the COMEX options for gold strike prices are here on the left. And you can see around 1825, there's a lot of open interest here.
0: Uh-huh.
1: There's a lot of open positions. So just at a glance at this, I was like, oh, right. Well, the 26th is options expiry at the COMEX. That's also the same date where, you know, Jerome Powell opened his mouth. So they were going to go down to 1825, and I said, indeed, we'll take quite a bit of effort to slam back down below 1825 before tomorrow, uh, settlement says 20, uh, Gen 26, so I think they still trade tomorrow, not sure if the comics can make that. A day later, the comics closed, thanks to Jerome Powell, at 1817, and all these positions, all these calls were worthless, So if you're wondering why the price of gold dropped 2% on a day where silver dropped 1.5% and that's just not possible, this would be why. And if you're wondering on a day like this, where silver dropped 4% and gold went down another 2% as well, below 1800, then I would like to remind you that uh, Friday the 28th, also this week is the final day for a gold settlement. And the next day or Monday, um, the February gold contract delivers on the comics. So there was never a chance for recovery today. And if anything, I've noticed that in Silver Futures, during the comics open, there is a squeeze up. Sure, the price drops afterwards, but Around my time, the comics opens, I don't know, 14 or 50. But you look here, you see, this is 1300. This is too early. The comics is still closed. At 1400, we're already a lot lower, and momentum will carry the price lower anyway. After the comics opens, the price goes up, maybe a little bit, but it does go up. And what we're used to literally used to because we both have been looking at these charts for a very long time, is that when the comics opens, it slams down and the rest of the price is just momentum for the rest of the day. But ever since the uh, 23rd I think it was, or uh, here, around that time anyway, silver started squeezing up. Can I get a better chart of this one week, one month? Yeah, not really. But since here, comes Open, price is squeezed up. Mm-hmm. Now, the price is, you know, gold has not really reacted to this. But I also said that on Twitter. That's because this is a gold delivery month. And they will defend gold harder than silver this month. So some shorts already closed out here. Mm-hmm. But after that, it just got dragged down by the defense of gold. Next month is going to be a silver delivery month. So I expect more shenanigans to happen in silver again. Yep. Because all of this simply happens because the COMEX doesn't have what they say to have. I haven't changed my position since, God, more than a year now, Uh, especially today, you know, uh, anniversary of the silver squeeze one year ago now. It's hard to believe that it's been a year. But I still haven't changed my position. I'm still very much of the opinion that they do not have nearly the silver and gold that they say they have. And that is why, and you can check this on the chart, general market option expiry for silver since the May of last year has gotten slammed on uh, the 16th to the 20th a day before or the day itself of general options market expiry. The only options expiry that they missed was the quarterly expiry in June. But the quarterly expiry in September also got slammed. That was the latest bottom. Then in October, when I th- they actually didn't slam the general market options expiry, and I thought we were over, they started slamming the COMEX options expiry. And the slams have lined up with that date. And of course, you know, the shenanigans they've, they've been uh, performing to the price just to minimize gold and silver deliveries over the past God it's almost been 2 years now on that one too. So the shenanigans continue but also the problem continues. As long as we're stuck at the shitty little price there is a demand supply mismatch under the hood there must be. It's too cheap.
0: It's too cheap and we already have silver shortages we know that from the silver institute we know that from uh people that produce goods. We know there's a silver Shortage, and it was covered up for decades by 50 million ounces of silver the U.S. had, other stockpiles other nations had because it didn't used to be industrial. They would mine copper, lead, zinc, silver would come out, they'd stick it in the warehouse. Now mm-hmm. that it's silver's used and everything, I've been draining that for the past 20, 30 years. That 50 million ounce that we had according to U.S. Geological Survey is gone. So the game now is they don't have enough silver, yeah. and they're playing games in the market. And the question is, when that blows up, what happens? Or, or in other words, what causes the blow-up?
1: Well, yeah, the only question is what causes the blow-up because we know what happens when it blows up. Yeah. But in this case, what causes the blow-up, if there is no specific trigger, what causes the blow-up is simply time. Yeah, yeah. If, if something's undervalued, objectively undervalued, it will get bought by someone because that is simply arbitrage. And Jesus Christ, like 90% of trade is arbitrage. Uh It's buying somewhere cheap and selling somewhere high and pocketing the difference. That is what arbitrage is. So I guess it makes more sense if you stop looking at the dollar-silver ratio and start looking at any other commodity versus silver. So uh, with crypto collapsing recently, the Bitcoin to silver ratio has absolutely collapsed with it especially because silver hasn't gone anywhere but since bitcoin has collapsed well the ratio went up if you look at the silver wheat ratio it has also collapsed completely because Uh silver hasn't gone anywhere but wheat has gone up through the roof as has all other foodstuffs so at some point uh yeah you can buy a bunch of food uh to keep yourself stocked for six months to a year but there's only so much preservable food that you can stock. You know, at some point, if you are expecting a five-year emergency, you can't stockpile five years worth of food. If anything, that just makes you a target for everyone else. So you need something to hold its value so you can buy food during the emergency. And silver's cheap. Now you could buy copper that also holds its value because we need copper for electrification and such. But copper's already gone up. And there's problems with copper as a copper squeeze as well. So I'm still a fan of copper, sure. But if you look at the max price of copper overall, since 1990, it has already gone up. So why would you buy copper when you look at the max price of silver and it hasn't even beaten 2011 yet? Anywhere close to.
0: Yeah, and if you inflation inflation adjust silver, it really change, It makes it more pronounced. Because oh, yeah. we had 50, $50 silver in 1980. But does anybody believe the dollar is still worth what it was you know, 40 years ago? Of course not. It may be worth, what, 10% of what it was?
1: I'll, I'll tell you one better that's much more relatable. Forget the 1980 peak. Forget about that. It's too long ago. Situation was different. That's not what matters anymore. If you want a real value adjustment, then look at the 2011 peak. Mm-hmm. It's not that long ago, right? No. It, it peaked at $50, right? Yep. Yeah. Wrong. Picked at 60 in today's dollars.
0: In today's dollars is right because of inflation.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's
0: basically a third, slightly over a third of what it should, what it was last time.
1: Yeah. It it already lost uh, 20% of that price in 2011. Like the dollar value of silver in 2011 is now 20% lower because you used to be able to buy uh, one ounce for 50 and now you need sixty dollars for one ounce if you know everything was kept the same the rest is just paper supply and silver mm. just like they added more paper dollars they added more paper silver
0: all right Karen last thing I want you to talk about because if I let you go without talking about this people <laughs> are gonna kill me what about yeah, the crypto what happened to the cryptos Bitcoins down what? What caused that?
1: Oh, uh, well, general fuckery in the crypto markets. There's little else to be said about that. It's just yeah. a hive of scum and villainy. Uh, I actually... Uh, <laughs> I love how
0: you described that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Actually, if, uh, the latest that I saw, and I can recommend this to anyone. I won't show it in full, but I have to just show it. Uh, line goes up. So... Somebody went through an extraordinary amount of effort, uh, folding ideas, to create a two-hour, 18-minute documentary on what NFTs are and what the problems with them are. And this goes through everything. It even starts at the 2008 financial crisis and gives, uh, according to one of the comments, the most succinct explanation of what happened in 2008 that he's ever seen. So uh, just the intro, just before you can get even close to, uh, God, what was it, um, NFTs, that takes 40 minutes, just 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 to understand what NFTs are, just the history of what came before. It explains everything beautifully. Uh, there's obviously uh, 2.6 million views in six days, and I got it via the algorithm. It's... Uh, if you have questions about NFTs or anything in crypto about the current situation of crypto, not what it's supposed to, what, not what it's supposed to be, not what the grandiose ideas are, not what it could be in the future. No what it is today and what it turned into. That is the documentary to watch. Two hours, 80 minutes of your life, it's very entertaining, entertaining but there's also a shit ton of info there you might even want to watch it two or three times
0: yeah that's the important thing is there is the promise or the design of crypto and there's what it is now and people aren't equating or they're equating you know what it is now with with the intended design it's not it's not anywhere near it's too young any technology that you put out in its early stages is not going to do you know what your 20 year or 30 year view of it is in other words where do we want to build the best internet possible when the internet first came out it sucked i know i was on it Mm -hmm. in college in 1993 it sucked we had Mm -hmm. green screens you know we could i mean it was kind of cool you could do email you could i mean the only way you could download a picture is if you're at your university on a land on a you know uh token ring based network if you're Mm -hmm. at home it would take you all day long to download a single picture you know the internet back then wasn't great and it it's taken decades you know and all that old software nobel netware and aol and cool. all that stuff is is long gone
1: yeah i think so, the only the only thing i still know that uh survived those days is the midi protocol mm-hmm. which is the protocol for digital music
0: yep yeah. the, the very simple digital music
1: uh no 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 uh well that's the bleeps and such you hear but no there's actually a lot of uh Data channels within M- uh, MIDI that control stuff like volume, velocity, mm-hmm. and such—that was really designed with uh, the future in mind when it was released. Uh, but it's—it's it's literally the only thing I know that is still in use today of the early computers. Uh, right. Well, HTTP, obviously, that protocol because it can be changed, but that's—that's that's basically been changed to HTTPS because it's more secure and HTTP wasn't.
0: Yeah, and and back then, we were using older protocols in TCIP. You're using IPX, NetBui, all these other ones. And even that's changed to TCPIP. And they're even talking about revamping the TCPIP protocol. So things constantly change. So the thing you have to understand with cryptos is they're not what they're intended to be just yet. And maybe someday they'll get there. We don't know. But they're not there yet.
1: No, and this this documentary uh, line goes up. I would highly recommend to see... What the situation is with crypto and today? It's basically just to sum it all up: one big grift. Mm. It, it got started with lofty goals, but whether it was meant to be or not, it ended up to be the um, playground of schemers and fraudsters, and it's just a fucking mess. So you know, I why, I think why did-
0: there I think there are people that legitimately see crypto working on crypto developing crypto for its original purpose because i've talked to some of them but nine times out of ten when i go to a conference and i talk to bitcoin people it's all you must invest you must invest but we don't actually want to talk about the crypto itself how it works it's all no, you just have to believe it's it's like a, a cult and unfortunately that damages the credibility for people who are actually working to make it a viable alternative currency, which I think there are a lot of people that want to do that. And I give credit to those people. There are people that legitimately say no, we need to develop this as an alternative to these fiat currencies. And I respect that. Mm -hmm. But this sector has been overtaken, like you said, by the grifters, by the scam artists. I've seen so many people that have had past history of, of, you know, jail time or being sued for scams that are now crypto promoters. Yeah, it's like they just said crypto is the new email scam, right? Or the new, or the new mail scam. Back in the day, when you have email and you would send out mail and do mm. j- chain letters and stuff like that, those uh, people have now migrated over to the crypto sector.
1: Yeah. Oh, I remember uh, email that went run. a Belgian virus. It was not any virus. It was just an email to asking you to delete your system thirty-two vo- uh, folder. Right. <laughs> so that was. Those were the days. Yeah. But um, no, look, I am one of those people. You've read my books. I've developed my own crypto system because yes. I understand there is just no value in these crypto systems because they don't offer any utility. They try to solve problems that crypto was never meant to solve with crypto. Uh, the, the example I give in my books is Theta, which I haven't heard anything about in quite a while. So I wonder what's going on. But that's basically a crypto video streaming service, peer-to-peer. And the moment I read that, I was like, well, this is never going to work. Why? Not because I'm against crypto, not at all. But crypto doesn't solve the problem of peer-to-peer video streaming, which is very simple. You
0: you understand there's a problem, and they can tag a crypto to it, and people think crypto is magic, right? It's Harry Potter. Yeah. You just wave your wand, and it solves the problem.
1: It would just solve the problem, but (laughs) it can't. Video streams, very simple. You send a stream from one place to another. You can do that from a consumer PC, which is peer-to-peer, or a central server, which is YouTube. There are no other options.
0: <laughs> so
1: that, to then say, well, I'm going to put this very inefficient, slow, uh, power-consuming uh, crypto technology in the middle, why? The, the, the peer-to-peer video streaming services that don't use crypto already suck because it's either a quality problem or stability problem either or it's it's never a validation problem it's never a verification problem and crypto is still a buzzword that gets attached to everything uh that just doesn't need crypto that doesn't have verification problems. (laughs) so
0: uh, yeah it's it's a playground and i don't know I think crypto has some potential, but right now, it like you said, it's a land of the land of the schemers.
1: Bitcoin has to die. And so, unfortunately, the entire market is basically trading on Bitcoin's trading pattern. You can look up uh, the market capitalization of crypto and the same without Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Even and the, the pattern is exactly the same. It is. So, unfortunately, until Bitcoin is dead, nobody else is going to get a chance. And Bitcoin will simply die due to the Ponzi schemers running out of legitimate dollars. So, why did the coin collapse from this chart from 68,000 down to basically half? And why did it do it twice? It's because the basic, uh, because Ponzi schemers, when you think about it, basically employ infinite leverage. So, they start out legit, they've got uh, a product and a pile of money, and the pile of money represents the product one-to-one. And then the pile of money starts to shrink because the product, product is never real. So over time, as the pile of money shrinks, but the promise of the product stays the same, you could say, well, they now have a, a pile of money leverage of two-to-one because they ran out half the money, but they never delivered a product. And then they burned through another half of their money, but they still don't have a product. Well, now you're four-to-one and eight to one, and sixteen to one, and you can go on and on. And at some point, leverage gets so high that a simple bill to pay the power could bankrupt you because then you need to actually pay that money, but you still don't have a product to generate income, so you just blow up. And everyone who was expecting the products and put money into the product is just not going to get a product ever. And the same is basically happening with Bitcoin where the product was this uh, futuristic global reserve currency outside of the bankster's control. And the only thing that's been proven over the past year is that it's basically being pumped up by a central bank called Tether. So it is. the problem with crypto is that it has not innovated any of the legacy problems that we have. It's just done them again in a worse way.
0: All right, Kieran, I think we're going to stop it there. Thank you so much for joining. We'll have you back on.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and I'll be happy to rejoin anytime.
0: How can people uh, find you?
1: Well, they can find me on Twitter, at Games. They can find me on Twitch, also at Games. I've got my own website, desogames.com, but I haven't updated in a while, so I'm sorry about that. But currently, I'm writing articles for my Substack. So that's desogames.substack.com. I've got another one coming out about inflation pretty soon, about how inflation is never, ever going to go away. I thought it would be nice for me to just list every way in which I know that inflation can't go away. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, that'll just convince a few more people. Very good. But The bond market doesn't need much convincing anymore.
0: Thank you, Karen, so much. We'll see you again.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank
0: you for listening to the Gold Silver Pros Podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time.